Alpha is a six-week course exploring the big questions of life. It's for anyone interested in discussing spirituality, God, and the Christian faith in a non-judgmental, open-minded context. Each week, there's a great meal, a short talk, and discussion in small groups. People who come to the course are from lots of different backgrounds. No faith, other faiths, brought up Christian and agnostic. Everyone is welcome. Catch up on each week's talk here. And I ended last week by talking about um, how Christianity from the very beginning was not seen just as a sort of uh, rational uh, doctrine to, to ascribe to. It wasn't just about historical facts of Jesus being a real person, Jesus really dying, Jesus really raising um, from the dead. But it was also seen as an experience, an experience particularly of the love of God. And last week we talked about how the early Christians um, saw the love of God most um, vividly displayed in Jesus' death on the cross. And we looked at how um, the idea of Jesus dying uh, reconstitutes how the whole universe uh, now is in that any dividing line between us and God has in Jesus been um, taken away by him killing that which uh, separates us from God. All the things that um, maybe we know aren't good for us or good for other people, what the Bible calls sin. And that allows us to enjoy a relationship with God. And that's really what he wants because God is love and he wants to show his love to us. Well, I want to continue um, on that theme of experience by looking um, over the next two weeks how we can experience God more how we can um, experience more of who he is and more of what he wants to say to us. And so um, this week, we're looking at the subject of prayer. And essentially, prayer is a means of growing closer to Jesus, of participating with him in his plans for the world. But I want to acknowledge at the start that um, for a lot of people, they find the idea of actually getting close or closer in a relationship with Jesus quite daunting. And I think this is um, probably because uh, they question, well, if I get close to Jesus, if I allow Jesus too close to me, what might happen? This is very real. What might happen if Jesus gets close to me? Will I have to lose all sense of who I am? Will I then just become sort of automaton Christian thing? Will he send me to the deepest, darkest, worst places in the universe to live in a horrible place? Will I have to give up my sense of style and wear terrible clothes? Will I have to speak in a particularly Christian way? Will I overnight lose my sense of humor? This was my fear. This was my big fear, and I feel like it wasn't just an irrational fear. It was a slightly rational fear, because all the Christians I'd met seemed to me like that. I thought, if that is being a Christian, I don't care how true it is, I don't want that. And yet, and yet, the more I found my t- spending time with people who really did know Jesus, the more time I spent exploring the Christian faith, the more I felt compelled to believe And I did find myself going, actually, I do believe Jesus. I want to become a Christian. But what I've found both in my own life and in the lives of every other person that I've ever met who goes through this journey of actually allowing Jesus closer, 
allowing ourselves to be open to him, allowing ourselves to uh, actually welcome him and give ourselves over to him, rather than people becoming less of who they are, they become more of who they are. Because this is what God is all about. He wants you to be the wonderful, perfect, beautiful version of yourself. You at your greatest. That is what he's come to do. To um, make you thrive so that you are completely comfortable in your own skin. That you feel completely you wherever you are in whatever circumstances. Whether it's lots of people, whether it's just you and your best friends. You are the same you. This is what God has come to do because he made you to be you. And he does not want you to be some uh, um, sliver of a version of yourself. He wants you to be fully you. And so whilst the fears we may have of what, what, what might he do, can we not enjoy that music anymore? Could we not enjoy those films? Could we not enjoy those jokes anymore? Actually, the more that we're allowed to let Jesus in, the more you will become who you actually are. And none of that happens without the power of God's spirit. It's through his spirit living in us that enables us to become the people that we were created to be. So despite what many people have actually grown up with, particularly in this country, uh, particularly if you've grown up in a Christian household, being a good Christian is not about reading your Bible more, it's not about praying more, it's not about going to church more, and it's not about being more disciplined. Actually, being a good Christian is being a good you, is being the best version of you. And that comes from allowing God in, allowing him to change you by his spirit. The spirit of God is said to grow fruit in you, one fruit with lots of parts. And the fruit of God's spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Just out of interest, who of us in, that, in this room would not like more of that? Would you not like to be more of a loving person? Would you not like to be more of a joyful person? You look very joyful, but I know just because I'm a human being like you, there are times when we're quite sad, aren't there? And we're quite depressed and we're quite actually lacking in hope. Would you not like to be gentle and kind and self-controlled so that you're not finding yourself out of control all the time? The Christian claim is that all of this can be ours to the degree to which we are willing to let the Holy Spirit grow it in us. Only he can do it. You could be the most disciplined person in the world. You could read the Bible the whole time. You could pray the whole time. But unless the Spirit is doing it, you will just be performing actions that don't actually change you. The Christian claim is this. God has come so close that he wants to invade your whole being, make you who you really are, by filling you with the power of his Spirit so that you can become the more loving, joyful, patient, kind, good, self-controlled, gentle, faithful person that you are. So... The reason to read the Bible more, the reason to pray more, the reason to go to church more, the reason to try and create some disciplines is only because these are very, 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 very good ways of allowing the Holy Spirit in. They enable us to let him do his work in us. But they are the means, they are not the end. So it's not about ticking off, have you prayed today? Have I read my Bible today? It's about, have I done the things that allow him to change me? So tonight, I want to look at how prayer works. How does it help us allow more of God in? 
So, prayer properly understood is like relational communication between us and God. Communication is obviously vital for any relationship, is it not? Hannah, my wife and I, normally on Valentine's night, will have a nice evening together. And we will cook a meal and we will sit across a table and we will have candles and we will talk. And often, because we are very busy and we haven't had time to do this, and it's happened on Valentine's Day and we need to now actually download all the information that we've been storing up for about a week and we haven't had a chance to connect, all of it comes out and some of it comes out in more aggressive ways and then we have a little fight and it's Valentine's Day. Don't have a fight on Valentine's Day. Stop it. No, we need to be nice to each other. Okay, remember, yeah, but we communicate. We communicate in all the ways that people who have a relationship with each other communicate. We share ourselves with each other because we love each other. And so it is with God. God invites us in prayer to relate to him, just as we might our best friend, our closest brother or sister, father or mother, the person with whom we can be most intimate with. God invites us to do that with him at all times, in prayer. Prayer is the means by which we engage with God and God engages with us. And for Jesus, there was nothing magical about prayer. It wasn't about a ritual. He didn't follow, this is the way I always do it, and if I don't get it right, then something will go wrong. It wasn't about tradition. Rather, prayer, Jesus teaches, is like an open invitation to come to God, a way of enjoying intimacy with him. But of course, in practice, the subject of prayer raises a number of questions. Not least, but how? How? How are we supposed to pray? If I suggested that in a moment we will turn to the person next to us and we will pray out loud with that person for a bit of time, some people I know would find that absolutely excruciating. And all the more excruciating if, having turned to the person next to you, it became very clear that the person next to you thought this is a very good idea. And then they started to pray for you. And they put their hand on you. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then they finished. And then they looked into your eyes and made it clear. Now it's your turn. You pray for me. You pray for me. Some of us just would not know where to start. We'd find the whole thing quite socially awkward, would they not? And so for some, because it's not clear how we're actually supposed to do it, prayer can become actually just the last resort. When everything else has failed, then we will pray, because uh, it's too difficult. It's too uh, unclear how it works. Homer Simpson, the model of faith, once said, I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman. These are all very understandable reasons to find prayer difficult. But the Christian understanding of prayer, the prayer that Jesus teaches, is not something to be limited just to crises when everything else that we've tried has failed. It's not limited to special occasions. It's certainly not ritualistic or just following some sort of pattern that we've always used. Rather, it's part of an ongoing, developing, living relationship with a God who comes close to us. Jesus freely admitted his dependency on his Father. And prayer was like a source of consolation and strength to him. He was often discovered by his disciples early in the morning, praying in lonely lonely places. 
really just giving himself the opportunity to be with his father and no one else. It was prayer which was the means that enabled him to partner with God, his father, in the mission that God had gave him, given him. And it was prayer that actually affirmed him in his identity, in who he was. One ancient definition of prayer is simply keeping company with God. So through prayer, we get to hang out with God. We get to share our concerns. We get to tell him anything, anything in the whole world. And he shares with us his purposes, his thoughts, his uh, concerns, his, his um, feelings towards us. And we can just enjoy being with him. Um, before I was a Christian, I rarely prayed. I grew up in this quite um, uh, restrictive um, Christian uh, household where prayer was very much something that you must do. And have you done your prayers? And it felt like I've got to tick this box. There's no one there. I'm praying to kind of thin air. Uh, what's going on? And so I sort of gave up and I became an atheist and I never prayed. But having become a Christian, having experienced the realness of Jesus, The sense that actually he's not just someone sitting in the annals of history. He's not someone in the pages of the books. He's here. He's real. He's actually God. I was like, I want to know this person more. He feels real all of a sudden. And I'd read the Bible quite a lot. And then I'd pray. I couldn't stop myself praying. I used to get the bus to work. I missed the stop for my work because I was praying too much on the top deck of a London bus. What an idiot. But I just loved it. I would pray. I'd go, God, what, what do you like? What do you think? I pray that person looks sad. I pray that you would help them feel happy. It was weird. I never thought about anyone other than myself. And now I was seeing the world. It was like it's in Technicolor. And I wanted to share my thoughts with God. And I felt like as I did that, it was something more than going on than just um, me sort of saying things in my head. It feels and it continues to feel. I actually really enjoy prayer. Um, I can't get enough of it. Um, But it felt like that old definition of simply keeping company with God. So on the one hand, it is relational uh, communication. On the other hand, it is also this kingdom building weapon that we are given to partner with God in ridding the world of all that is wrong with it. One of the greatest motivations for prayer is that we live in a universe of limitless possibilities. People, if you read their prayers in the Bible, they pray as if their prayer is going to make an actual, tangible, real difference to the circumstances of the world. Excuse me. Paul describes us as collaborators with God when we pray. So the idea that we are living in some sort of closed universe where everything has already been defined by the will of God uh, before time even began has less to do with the actual Bible than it does with some defunct philosophy. Indeed, the stress on the openness of the universe in the Bible is so forceful that it's almost as if God is constantly changing his mind in accordance with his unchanging love in answer to prayer. I'll say that again. It's almost as if God is constantly changing his mind in accordance with his unchanging love in answer to prayer. Which means that actually prayer can become very, very exciting. We can change the world in prayer. It's what God is beckoning us into. Um, this is a very small example. But I um, we, we um, have been trying to redo our website for a long time 
the church. This is a small example. We're trying to redo our website for a long time for the church, and nothing's been happening. And we've been trying to get the right, and it's just, it just feels like it hasn't, nothing has fallen into place. No one wants to do it, we haven't got enough money, all of these sorts of things. And I was just praying, I was, just, I was quite frustrated with it. God, I know the website doesn't matter, um, but it's, you know, we need to redo the website. It's out of date. It's, no, no one can do it. Will you just show me something to do? And then Amber, who's just over there, emailed people randomly saying, hey, I've got a friend who designs websites. She's looking for more work. It's got a bit slow. It's really, really cheap. And she's brilliant. And she is brilliant. Would you? And I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That was all me. It wasn't Amber. That was me praying. <laughs> My uh, sister-in-law, Debs, was in a car crash, and um, it was a terrible car crash, and uh, she um, broke pretty much every uh, bone in both her legs. Her pelvis was completely crushed, um, and she was in ICU, and uh, it was looking very, 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 very difficult. Uh, her family had flown in from um, around the world. It, the, the doctors were, were very scared. And at one point, they were saying, we just don't know whether this is, this is going to happen. She looks like she could um, not pull through at any moment now. And my mother-in-law, who's quite a fearsome person of faith, she's a, a missionary, said, well, I am going in there then to pray for her. And the doctor said, there is no way you're allowed in there. You cannot pray. And she said, right, find me a nurse. They brought her a nurse. <laughs> Do you believe in Jesus? And the nurse said, no. It does not matter. Go in there and call on the name of Jesus for her to be saved. And so uh, the poor nurse went in and my mother-in-law directed her through the glass and told her what to do. And immediately, Deb's um, heart rate monitor went back. She was fine. She, she um, came out of the coma and she's alive and well. That's just one story of answer to prayer for her. Her vocal cords were so um, uh, damaged from the crash that she couldn't really speak properly. Uh, so she, um, she couldn't actually make sounds. Uh, uh, the best she could do was like, like that. And uh, the doctor said that um, that's probably what it's going to be like for, for, forever. Her vo- voice box had kind of um, collapsed. But she came on a day away, like we're going to go away on, in Ojai. Uh, and people prayed for her f- to have her voice. Nothing happened. But she woke up in the middle of the night, um, bolt upright, singing songs of joy to God with her voice completely restored. These stories encourage me that prayer is not just something that makes us feel okay or helps us process our thoughts, that actually prayer can make a tangible difference to people's lives. And that is the story of the Bible. People praying, collaborating with God in prayer to see amazing things happen. So, I need to stop doing that. I'm going to move this over here. So, when we communicate with someone it obviously um, helps to know who we're actually communicating with. From a pr- Christian perspective, when we pray, the whole of the Trinity, and we'll look at the Trinity on the day away, don't worry about it now, it's fine, uh, but we will look at the Trinity then. 
Um, but the whole of the Trinity is involved when we pray. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father. First and foremost, Jesus says, pray to your Father in heaven. The point is, God is personal. He is not some entity, some wishy-washy thing far away. He is relational and personal. He is our loving Father, as Jesus uniquely calls him. Who has, And we have this extraordinary privilege because of what Jesus has done, that we can enter into his presence without any fear or worry. He is like the loving father who cares for his children. Jesus uniquely describes him as Abba, which is an um, Aramaic word, slightly misunderstood. Uh, it, is, it describes um, the intimacy with which a child would um, relate to a loving father. It's a bit like um, uh, a sort of precognitive sense of, oh, I know who you are, but whilst it's intimate, it's not infantile. So I'm not too sure about people praying to daddy God. Uh, if we could just cut that out, that might be great. Um, because our relationship with God is not infantile, but it is deeply, deeply intimate. Because whilst God is, is of course, intimate, he is our father in heaven. He is also, at the same time, uh, our father in heaven. He is um, the creator of the whole universe. In him, there is limitless power. One of the things I love about the first chapter of Genesis in the depiction of God creating the world, in a throwaway line, it says, and he also made the stars. And I've also always loved that. He also made the stars. Have you seen the stars? Do you know how many stars there are? There's a lot of stars. He also made the stars because God is infinite in power. And it means a huge deal when we actually are able to hold this picture of God being a loving, close father who cares for you like a child, with also him being someone of infinite power. Because then it gives our prayers actually some potency when we know that we are calling on the God who can do anything, who also made the stars. Surely he cares enough about everything that's going on in your life and surely he has the power to change things. It is amazing when we can feel like we have connected somehow to something that God really wants to, to, um, uh, to enact in our world. So we pray to the Father um, and we also pray through the Son. The reason we pray through the Son is because, as I sought to explain two weeks ago, or what, last week, sorry, uh, it is Jesus, the Son, by which we are brought into relationship with God. It's why he is important. And so we pray to the Father, through the Son, and in the Spirit. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, if you think, I still don't really know how to pray. What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say it? Can I just say, join the club? You're not supposed to know exactly what to say and how to say it. That is part of what it is to be dependent on God. The Bible says that prayer is actually a learning process by which we engage with the Holy Spirit and he teaches us. He shows us how to pray. Paul says that we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays with us. He prays for us and um, as an intermediary between us and God, giving language to our prayers. 
So the idea is not, oh my goodness, I've got to pray. I've got to think of things to pray. Now, what can I think? Oh, that person just prayed for the thing I was thinking of. Now I've got to think of something else. Rather, the prayer that precedes all other prayers should be, Holy Spirit, please guide me. Guide me in how I can pray. And then we can just sit back and relax for a bit. It's on him. And then we can try and follow what we feel like he's saying as we pray. So the Holy Spirit initiates our prayer and then we carry on. In practice, though, in order for us to be able to approach God in the way Jesus did, to see him as a father, this may, and this is very important, involve getting rid of some wrong-headed notions about what God is actually like. The truth is we all, every single one of us, will carry internal images of what God has been depicted to us like from our childhood. Some people will never have known anything about God and therefore God is an absence. For others, uh, it's often that God has been depicted as this sort of old bearded gentleman sitting up high in the heavens on his throne, kind of a bit scowly, not too pleased with you and worrying and uh, making you worry whether you have done enough things to make him happy. Perhaps he might smite you if you haven't. Now, it is understandable, is it not, just as a piece of logic, that if that is the picture of God you grew up with, you might find it quite difficult to go, yes, I want to pray to you. Yes, I want to enter your presence. It was definitely my experience growing up. God is angry. God doesn't like me. Uh, I haven't been good enough, so I definitely shouldn't pray. But rather, the God of the Bible, the God Jesus depicts, is one who loves, who loves to hear us, who is desperate to welcome us into his presence so that we can pray to him, to share ourselves with him. So it may be that the images that you have grown up with, you need to kill them off today. You can do it tonight. You can just throw them in the celestial trash bin, have them burn up forever and not worry about them at all ever again. Many of us will need to do that before we can actually enjoy a deeper relationship with God as he actually is. Otherwise, it's like carrying around a totally false view of of someone that we live with. As I said, particularly the term father can be negative to people if they've grown up with an absence of a father or father figures in their upbringing have been abusive or difficult uh, or angry or um, uh, dismissive of you it can be quite difficult to think of God as a father. But there are many more accessible images in the Bible given for us so that we can actually approach him. And that's the point. How is it that we can approach him? In the book of Isaiah, God is like a mother devoted to her child. Isaiah says, Can the mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she, she may forget you, I will not forget you, says God. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. So if a father figure of God doesn't work for you, it's completely legitimate to see God as a mother. And if that doesn't work for you to see God as a lover, if that doesn't work for you to see God as a friend, all of these images are there in the Bible to help us. And they all respond importantly to what God is actually like.
So ditch what God is not actually like and choose what God actually is like so that you can approach him. It will do you wonders of good in terms of your faith. And if knowing who we are talking about, the real one, is important, it's also very important that the real us is involved too. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, and no fool when it comes to human behaviour, wrote that the prayer preceding all other prayers should be, may it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real you who I speak to. The real I is very important. We need to be honest with God about how we really are whenever we pray. Very, very important. We can't make God more visible to us, but we can make ourselves more visible to him by being honest and open. I would say this is one of the great secrets of prayer. Learning to say what actually is going on in your life rather than what you think he might want to be. As though somehow the real you would not be acceptable in the presence of God. It's common for people to think that they have to put on some sort of act to get the right words in the right places, to say the right thing, to use language that they use in no other context. This has always been baffling to me. All of a sudden, when it comes to prayer, we are now saying words we don't quite know what they mean because we're praying. Or we're just saying just a lot. I just, I just really, really just. I just really, really just, really, just, really, just, really. Just be yourself. He loves you. He knows you. You can tell him anything. It isn't always easy, of course. There are hidden areas of our lives that we like to keep hidden, not just from God, but from ourselves as well. But the more we can trust that he sees us for who we are, the more we can approach him as we really are, the more we will receive from him and our prayer life will deepen and become more effective. The book of the Psalms is a collection of people's prayers towards God. And these are people who really know God. And they let it all hang out. They are not afraid of saying anything to him because they know that he knows them. In the Psalms, you have intense anger, jealousy, depression, rage, despair. This is how we should think about prayer. Um, In our group last week, someone... um, Uh, very powerfully and vulnerably was talking about uh, something that had uh, happened to them which was really devastating, really horrible and this person had basically got to the end of themselves and they were saying that they were just effing and blinding at God effing and blinding, being real not trying to pretend but depicting just actually what was going on for them and in this moment, this person said, it was, it was after I'd been doing that for a while, that just felt God say to me, but I'm still here with you. And that's what comes from an intimate relationship where we don't pretend with God. We're actually true to ourselves before him. And he can visit us because he loves you. And he knows it all anyway. Isn't that the strange thing? We keep all these things back from him. He already knows. And we don't want to tell him, but he already knows. But if we just told him when we could actually have a relationship. And this is the wonder of prayer. That it's not just us talking at him. 
It's him sharing himself with us because he loves to speak. He loves to tell you things. He loves to remind you that he's never left you. That he's always there. That he cares. And when we're able to approach him like that, all of a sudden we can find that the things that we think were so important that we really need him to do are not quite as important as just being with him. Amen. So, um, that's that.